Well, what a what a delight to be in church. Who's who's? This is your first sort of uh, day at, at the increase. So you missed the weekend, but you're here for church on Sunday. Give me a wave if you're here. Great, welcome. So good to have you here. I, I love this church. I was just saying to uh, your worship director, what the quality of the worship, just the worship alone, the amount of different people who have funneled through here and who are, you know, the quality of your singers, your band, your musicians, the, the sense of the presence of God here is, it's extraordinary. Are you, do you know it's extraordinary? Do you know it's like out of the ordinary, extraordinary? It's, it's like there's a sense of an open heaven over your church. Uh, I said to Pastor Alan last night, I, I sense, uh, and, and Alan, I sense the, the, the generational prayers that have been prayed that leave an open heaven over this church. So uh, I know, James, you're here, and I want to honor you, the sense of what's been uh, prayed for many decades in this church. We're all benefiting from those of you who have been here long term, God bless you, and we want to honor you. So yeah, there's what a great sense. I also love, and I'll probably, I'm going to say it tonight, all right? So come back tonight for the final session, and I'm going to pray for people tonight, or probably my goal will be to do 50-50 prayer ministry, okay? 50% like preaching, 50% ministry. Now I've said it, I have to stick to it, all right? I want to, uh, I, I'm going to preach about bring back the altar. And one of the things that COVID robbed the church of, I believe, is the altar. The, it's like, oh, you can't touch anybody. And so, you know, it robbed us of a few things. One was the altar. The other was the table. You can't go to anyone's house and you can't come and stand down the front and be prayed for. And I believe that God is restoring and rebuilding in a new way the altar as a place of impartation and encounter with God and the table uh, in terms of the community of both for outreach and the family of God. And I want to... What I can see that this church does very, very, very well is the table. I mean, you're having nachos at four o'clock, uh, you know, and uh, you know, I'll be like, oh, mate, it's been such a big conference and you're all here partying. What the heck? Amazing. So tonight, bring back the table. Are you good for that? Every, every Sunday morning, I get, sent, uh, I get sent a dad joke from one of the, uh, the older guys in our church, like without fail, exactly at 7.15. And then I kind of decide whether I'm going to use it or not. So he sent me quite a good one. I, I, who loves dad jokes? Come on. Dad, dads, if you haven't embraced dad jokes yet, it is our gift to the world. Uh, the, bet, the, the worse the joke, the bigger the groan, the more successful it was. All right. If there's no groan, it's not a very good dad joke. All right. So, so just let me just give you a couple to try. So uh, uh, a friend of mine recently uh, bought a limousine. And, but the problem was he spent all his, all his money on it and he couldn't afford a driver. He, he had this beautiful car, but nothing to show for it. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. Okay, that, that's kind of warming you up. I'm getting claps for my dad jokes. This is so unusual. Normally it's just groans. You guys are fantastic. All right. Uh, look, another one. I, I recently I ran into a movie star accidentally. It was Dwayne Johnson. Accidentally touched him on the bottom. I've officially hit rock bottom. Just, uh, just, uh, hey, this is quite good. I could go all day, but I need to preach the Word of God. So this morning, I want to preach to you a message that I, I call the wilderness test. It's something that I put together just recently 
uh, and uh, as with a lot of what I would call my signature messages, that's quite they're quite autobiographical, autobiographical, autobiographical. Anyway, it's something like that. My, my story comes through these. I'm preaching not not just things that are in the Word of God, but things that are in the Word of God that have now got into my life, and I've walked through them. And so, the wilderness test comes from uh, Psalm chapter 95, and I want to read a verse to you out of the message, and it's just a simple little verse, and it says, "Drop everything and." Listen, listen as he speaks. Don't turn a deaf ear as in the bitter uprising, as on the day of the wilderness test, when your ancestors turned and put me to the test. The day of the wilderness test. This is obviously the context of this is the children of Israel are going through the wilderness and God's taking them to the promised land. And there's a moment, a particular moment at Meribah where, where they run out of water and they've already seen the 10, the 10 plagues and God do miracles. The Red Sea's opened up. God has just done miracle after miracle. He's taking them to their promised land. They run out of water and instead of going, oh man, look what you've already done, Lord, you're incredible. What are you going to do now? They start to grumble and complain. And in this test of theirs, this wilderness test, God is, God's not just, he's not like, oh, I'm trying to starve you of water. He's trying to do something in their heart so that they're ready for their promised land. And it's my belief that each one of us will go through a season, at least one, maybe multiple during our life of a God-ordained wilderness test. So let's pray right now. Father, I just thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're here. I ask that these words would come alive, Lord, not just be a message, but there would be revelation, there would be faith, and you would empower us to be able to uh, embrace what the Spirit of God is doing in our hearts so that we can move forward into the promises that you have for us. I ask it in Jesus' name. A wilderness test. I define a wilderness test as a God-ordained season that all of us will go through at least once in our life, but more, than, more often multiple, to prepare us for the purpose and the promise God has for us in the future. When you study the heroes of the Bible, you realize that all of them went through seasons where they were being tested or going through a refiner's fire because God was doing something in their heart. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness before he led God's people through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. Joseph spent 14 years uh, as a slave and a servant and a prisoner while he was waiting for God's promise to come to pass in his life. David spent at least two wilderness seasons, one where he was a shepherd boy, forgotten down the back paddock. His father overlooked him when Samuel came to anoint the next king. He didn't even think about the possibility that David could be the one. He was just looking after the sheep. And then another season after he's been anointed by God, he's running away from Saul who's trying to kill him and he's in the wilderness. Jesus himself went through, was led by the Spirit, the Bible says, into the wilderness to be tested and to be tempted before his season of ministry and promise came to pass. So if Jesus had to go through a wilderness test, pretty good odds you and I are going to have to go through a wilderness test. Now, here we go. Some of you, you're there right now. 
You're like, you're like, oh my gosh, he's read my mail. Uh, I'm in a wilderness test right now. And I'm like, awesome, this is going to help you. Now, if you've been stuck in your wilderness for quite a while, and I'll describe what it is, then maybe God wants you to readjust your focus of what's going on in this season so, because his intention is not that you live in the wilderness for the rest of your life. It's that you go through it. He does things in your heart in this season so that he can promote you out of it. He doesn't want you to keep going and round and round and round in the wilderness, uh, starting to get bitter and twisted about who he is. So, so I want now. So, if you're in your wilderness, you're going to go. Oh my gosh, he's speaking to me. If you're not in it and you've never been in one, it's coming. It's coming. Let me just tell you right now, so you won't be surprised. Now, what I also want you to note about the wilderness test is that it was the Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness. It wasn't the devil that led Jesus into the wilderness. It was the Holy Ghost. So sometimes you're in the wilderness wondering, why am I here? Did I do something wrong? Did I miss God? Everything seems to be going wrong in my life right now. God gave me this incredible promise. This Vicki Simpson prophesied over me 10 years ago and everything of the opposites happened for the last 10 years. I'm like, did, did, did she get it wrong? Did I miss it? Odds are you're in a wilderness test. Because a wilderness test comes before your promises and your blessing and the increased season of influence and favor comes to your life. What's, what's some signs that you're in the wilderness test? Well, here's a few. Uh, you can have a sense that the opposite is happening. Joseph has a dream. Everyone's going to bow down to me. And what happens? The opposite. He ends up in prison. He ends up serving somebody else. The absolute opposite happens. Often the devil, as I said the other night, the devil hears the promise of God, he hears the prophecy, and tries to rob that prophecy from you, and therefore he'll try and uh, twist your circumstances, but it's not always the devil. God's actually at work. He's doing something. Sometimes in the wilderness test, God can seem quite distant. Feels like my prayers are just, boom, bouncing off the ceiling. Often during, in, in that kind of, it's, it's like, I don't feel like I'm feeling the presence of God as much as I normally would. Is God still, is he still about me? Often when you go through a dry season, what, God, what often happens if you look at a plant, the roots are going down deeper to find water. God wants your roots to go down deeper in a wilderness. Test. And then, then there are just other moments where you just feel like invisible, forgotten, overlooked. People are getting promotions all around you in your work, in, in your, your, your sphere of influence, in church life. And you're like, I've got this gift and I want to be using this gift, but, but pastors don't even really realize I'm in, even in the church. God has a habit of covering people up, making you invisible because he's working on things inside of your heart. What's he doing? What's going on in this season? So this thing, I believe that, here's the thing. Let's look at 2 Chronicles 32, 31 says this. However, regarding the ambassador of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him. We're talking about a, a godly king, Ezekiah. God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. The wilderness test is all about your heart. And God is looking in this season of your life, whether it's one month, one year, or 10 years, 
God is looking to develop things in your heart, your character, so that when the promise comes to pass, you will not be corrupted by success. You will not be crushed by the increased influence that comes into your life. And He will be able to trust you because during the wilderness, you're on trial. This, let me jump a little bit further down into the same scripture, Psalm 95, uh, in a different version, says this. Let me find it here for you. Uh, do not harden your hearts, verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. So here we go. This is, this is what's going on. God says, in the day of your trial, your wilderness test, what they did wrong is they thought God was being tested. Where's the water? Why aren't you doing something? God, you're, you need to show yourself faithful to your promises. God, you're, And so rather than worship, grumbling came up and they got it wrong. They're like, oh, I thought God was on trial right now to prove himself faithful. I don't know. God's never on trial. You and I are on trial. And there's certain things that God is wanting to deep dive into the character of your heart and my heart during a, that will not come apart from being in a wilderness. All right, how are we going? We're doing all right. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think he's talking to you right now. Just, I think he's talking to you. So what's the... What are the three, what's, what's God trying to develop in your heart in this season? You're a chatty mob, aren't you? It's like, it's, I like this. What's he trying to develop? I believe there's at least three things that you can see through the lives of David and Joseph and Jesus and Moses and Bible heroes, at least three things that he wants to develop in you. I believe he wants to help us to become servant-hearted, worshiping warriors, servant-hearted, worshiping warriors let's let let's talk about uh, let, let's talk about worshiping warriors let's just talk about worship during the wilderness the thing that god's looking to do in your life and my life is actually bring a song of gratitude up that is not related to the good things that god's doing but they're related to the the goodness of who he is uh, I, I don't know. Give me a wave if you're a good singer here today. Come on, give me a wave. Okay, come on. Give this. Don't be. This is the time to be unintimidated. You're a good singer. Keep it up if you're a great singer. Come on, just go to bold right now. I, I, I've got this. I've got this little thing. We we recently. Oh my gosh, you guys are so good today. We recently had Darlene Check come to our church. Been trying to get it for years, right? It's like the Vicky Simpson, like you and Vicky Simpson, us and Darlene. Like, yeah, nah, yeah, nah, yeah, nah. No, we, eventually she came. And uh, like, okay, how many Darlene fans have we got in the house today, right? Like, we are, we are tragic Darlene fans. We sang Shout to the Lord at our wedding, 1995. It's just coming up for its 30-year anniversary, this song that changed the world. And so, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a photo of, of us at our wedding, and I'm like worshiping God with my hands raised, shouting, and Danielle's just there smiling. And we put it up, and, and I've just started doing like, well, what's going on here is I'm worshiping God. She's just thinking about her honeymoon. She's obviously, <laughs> she's obsessed. Uh, you can't blame her. She's only human. But I'm worshiping God to honor God at our wedding day. Anyway, so we get, we get Darlene to come. And of course, of course she's, the, she's the ultimate worshiper. 
through every season of her life. And so I, I twist her arm to do shout to the Lord because it wasn't on the set list. I'm like, in front of everybody, I'm like, surely, Darlene, you could do shout to the Lord. And she's down the front row and she's like, yeah, okay, I'll do shout to the Lord. And so she did it, just funny moment. She did it. We're all like, the atmosphere is loaded with worship. People are kneeling, we're singing, we're singing. And one of my board members is on the, he's preaching this morning at home. He's on the front row kneeling, worshiping. And then she breaks into shout to the Lord. So kneeling on the front row, you see his phone come out. And he starts the video. <laughs> I'm like, dude, who are you worshiping right now? What's, what's going on? It's so good. It's so good. I, I have a theory. See, now, now worship's not about whether you're a good singer or not. Good news. Come on, good news. Worship, our location pastor in Melbourne, we started a church in Melbourne three years ago. Dan Frecker's our location pastor with his wife, Ebony, and he's a Darlene Tragic. And so he said the first time he heard Darlene sing, he was at a conference and he was so pumped to hear her sing, but then he sat right in front of someone with the worst voice. He said it, he, he described it like someone was a cat and their neck was getting wrung the whole way through the worship. He's like, it ruined my experience. So when Darlene came to our church, he's like, all right, who's, not, not you, not you, not you, leave me alone, all right? My, my, my theory is this, that, is that in heaven there's an angel with an auto-tuner. You know, like an auto-tuner can take somebody and it take, your voice goes through the auto-tuner and, and you, you know, you go in sounding really bad, but you come out like you're Pavarotti. It's just, it's just hallelujah. It's, it's the auto-tuner. It just works. And so, so now worship's not just about singing a few songs on Sunday. You can actually be a singer, but not a worshiper. And in the wilderness, God is looking to develop in you and me a spirit that goes, okay, well, there's no water right now, and I'm thirsty, but I know what you've done in the past. You delivered us from slavery. You opened up the Red Sea. I could see the dust of the chariots behind me, and you've, you've set me free. You've brought me, you've brought me to salvation. You've brought me through the waters of baptism. You've brought me through trial and temptation. And if you've done it before, you'll do it again. You are good. I will worship you. On my worst day, I will worship you. On my best day, I will worship you. When it's dry and I can't hear your voice, I will worship you. Though the fig tree shall not blossom, though there be no herd in the stall, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. That's what God's looking. And the only way he can find out if you're a, if you're a worshiper, true in worship, is when you worship because nothing else is going good except you know he's good and you lift up your voice. I love Job after tragedy after tragedy. Uh, he, he comes out and he says, though he smite me, I will worship him. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Yet will I, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the spirit of a worshiper. And I, I sense in this place, there's some people, and, and it's just Sunday is a good moment. It's like being in the house of God on a Sunday doesn't mean you're a worshiper, but it's a, it's a catalytic moment in your week 
to say, God, I don't care what happened last week. It's been hell. It's been difficult. The teenagers have been tough. We love you, teenagers. You're awesome. And the parents have been tough. They've been so harsh on me. Things The money's tough. The work's tough. But God, I'm making a statement on the first day of the week. I'll be in the house and I'll be worshiping you because I am a worshiper. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a worshiper. <laughs> the language of the enemy is the language of complaining, the language of grumbling. But the language of God's people who he's wanting to bring into the fullness is the language of worship. Turn your whinge into worship. Hey, that'll tweet. Someone can write that down. Even if tweeting was a real thing, that'll preach. Okay, so what about servant-hearted? He's looking to develop you as a servant-hearted. Now, a servant-hearted person. Now, this, I'm not, I'm not talking about serving on a team once a month at church. That's awesome. But you can volunteer on a team once a month in church and not be servant-hearted. Just like you can sing a few songs on Sunday and not be a worshiper. Now, again, I believe that serving on a team is a catalytic experience that flows into the rest of my life because I'm making a choice to help others and to make other people's lives better rather than to be a consumer. I believe that's, a, that's like a, just a little signature starting place that God wants every believer to have to be, hey, I'm part of the family. I'm going to do chores. When I started dating Danielle, her dad had this little chat to me. And I was like, because I, I turned up around dinner time, and he's like, don't let your liberty become a license. Like, don't just turn up here. I'm like, oh, okay, righto. And so pretty much, you know, you start in the lounge room for a couple of months when you're dating, and then pretty quickly you're in the kitchen. That's just what happens. You're part of the, when you become part of the family, you're on team. So if you're part of this church family, I would, it just goes without saying. You know, you don't need the gift of emptying wheelie bins, Dad. Do we have wheelie bins? Is that a thing? Okay. So I don't go home and go, sorry, babe, can't empty the wheelie bins. It's not my gift. Can't, I can't do the dishes anymore. It's not, I, I did the, the gift survey and dishes didn't come up on mine. I'm more the leadership guy who delegates all these things to everybody else. No, when you're part of the family, you just do what's got to be done. That's what servant-heartedness is. And when you do what's got to be done, then on the journey of doing stuff, you go, oh, flip, I didn't know I was good at that. You're like, you don't actually discover your gift by doing surveys. You discover your gift by serving. And then as you serve, things that are dormant inside of you come to the fore. And suddenly, I've seen people time after time discover the career that God and the thing that they're good at because they served in an area they never thought they should be. Oh, just helping some people here today. Anyway, that's not even in my notes. That's for free. So servant-heartedness. Servant there was a season in the life of our church, uh, where, again, when we were, we were newlyweds and, and we'd, I'd been the youth leader and Danielle hadn't been in leadership and, and we kind of just made this decision that we would have a 12-month break from leadership responsibilities while we really set our marriage up. And I don't, actually, I don't really, in hindsight, don't super recommend that because what actually happened, not just did we step back from leading, we stepped back from small groups and a whole lot of things. And after about four months, we found ourselves uh, hyper-isolated, uh, disconnected. After six or eight months, because we weren't leading, so we weren't part of the, there was a leadership group in our church called the Movers and Shakers. <sighs> and I wasn't a mover and shaker anymore. Oh, 
So, and that was, you know, in, in those days, that was sort of the, really the best kind of community groups in part of our church. So I felt like I'd gone from having all these relationships around a function to being on the outside. And when people are in those leadership groups, they're busy. So they're like, just let's keep going, keep doing things. And when you step outside, you feel the isolation. It's nobody's fault. That's just part of life. And so we isolated ourselves. And so after a little while in our, in our season of isolation, we started to think, hey, I reckon if we didn't turn up on this church, no one would notice. I, and we started to have these conversations. Uh, I, I'm not really sure. And so uh, when, when you start to feel isolated, which isolation is usually, the, the issue of isolation is not their fault, it's my fault. Not like overcoming isolation is the responsibility of the individual to push in and to connect. It's not the responsibility of the church to pull you in to connect. It's the responsibility of the individual to. And so, anyway, that's for free as well. I'm just helping here, Pastor. And so, but what, what begins to happen then when you start to feel a bit of isolation, it triggers some rejection on the inside. And then you become the church expert, the problem with this church. So Danielle and I became the church experts. The problem with this church is pastoral care is not good enough, blah, blah, blah. And so now may or may or may or not have been true, but it wasn't actually our, our position to say we were reacting out of our own hurt and feeling of isolation. And there came a moment, I remember when we're, we're sitting down and we're, ta- we're driving and then we sat down at our dinner table and we're like, I think that God's leading us to leave this church. Now, just side note. Never let a feeling of isolation, a feeling of of rejection that then becomes a judgment on the church be something that makes you make life decisions. Let the Word of God make your life decisions. Let, Let mature Christians who have been around for years, who've got your best heart, your best interest in heart, make decisions for you. Don't make life decisions when you're emotionally vulnerable. And so we, we were all we're like, maybe we'll go somewhere else. Maybe this feeling is God leading us to leave. And then after a while, we, we just, just didn't settle. It's like, and so then we sat, we had, we had a, a life moment. We sat down at the dinner table and said, you know what? Actually, I don't think God's calling us to leave. I think God's actually calling us to serve others. Because if we feel like this, surely there's other people in the church who feel like this. What we need to do is turn it around and stop making it about people looking after us and make it about us serving others. And the moment we made this shift, it was like, of course, of course, of course. God's not calling us to be served. He's calling us to serve so we just we made a decision. Let's start having people over for dinner every week. Anyone who feels like they're disconnected, let's, let's bottle the feeling of isolation and use it as motivation to connect with other people. So we began to invite people over. We started a small group. Uh, we called it BYO uh, because it was, it was for young adults. It was beyond youth options. Okay, that, that's what we called it. I've always been in marketing. It's just a thing. So, so at BYO, we began to serve uh, dis, uh, isolated, disconnected, 28-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 30, you know, and we, we began to take the pain that wanted to make it about me and turn around to serve others. And this is what God wants to do with you in a wilderness test. 
He wants you, if your business is in a wilderness, he wants you to actually go, well, is, is it all about my business and my own wealth? Or is there a greater purpose at the moment? Is the kingdom of God needing to be advanced? Should I make my business actually part of building the church so that my business is not about serving me it's about serving the community but ultimately it's about serving the kingdom of God I'm going to begin to make the shift I'm going to begin to make the shift how did how did David come into his season of success at one of his key seasons of promotion you know what he was a shepherd boy taking cheese and biscuits and bread to his, to his brothers who were on the front line. His brothers were on the front line in the army. He wasn't in the army. And they're, they're standing there listening to the taunt of Goliath day after day. And David, he doesn't get a word from God. David, you should go up to the battle. There's a mighty giant there, Goliath. You're going to take him on and be promoted in the kingdom of God. I don't know. His father goes, you need to go and take the cheese and bread to the commanders and your brothers and serve them. And bring me back a report. It's amazing to me. And I could give you story after story. Joseph in prison serves two guys by interpreting their dreams. And then they promptly forget about him. But you will find this. Servanthood will set you up for your destiny. And you'll just never know when the moment comes. You'll never know when you're going from the prison to the prime minister in a day. What God is looking for is He wants to develop in you. Are you a servant? Are you servant-hearted? Is it about others or is it about you? Because if God promotes you to a position of influence and it's about you, you'll be corrupted. But if you've got the heart of a servant, so people go, oh, what a great privilege. You get to preach and, and help and, and, and share with people and use your gift. And I go, yeah, ultimately what I'm doing right now is I'm helping people. Now, I get to do it with a gift that God's given me in a microphone, but if my motivation is to make it about me, it's going to go horribly wrong. But if my motivation is to help people understand the Word of God, to shine a light on what's going on in their lives so that they can be transformed by the love and power of the gospel, then the, and the motivation is serving, that, that, that just gets tested more and more. Turn to your neighbor and go, how's your servant heart going? A little less laughter with that one. <laughs> a little less laughter with that one. Okay, what about this, the third thing? So he's wanting to, this is what God is wanting to do for you in your wilderness. Develop your heart as a servant-hearted, worshipping warrior. So it's one thing to worship God and to, and to enjoy His presence when everything's gone to pot. It's another thing to stand there with a sword in your hand and say, this is not what God has spoken for my life. When Jesus went through his wilderness, what did he do? It is written. He fought the enemy. There's a, there's a fighting of, when you're in your wilderness. Don't just lie down on your Nana's lounge couch and whinge to God and then put some worship music on and sing and hope that'll get you out. No, God, He wants you to worship and He wants you to serve others as your motivation. But actually, He's also wanting to build in you this warrior. This person, you know, this is the, this is the nature, I love it, in Psalm 105, 17 to 19. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They heard his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. He's in the wilderness. 
the word of the Lord tested him. It's like, God, I'm waiting for that word to come to pass. So when it comes to pass, I'll know it was you. Because I'm testing the word. Now, when you get a prophecy, you do need to test it. You, know, you need to see if it gets confirmed. You need to make sure it resonates. If not, you put it on the shelf. You, you submit it to leaders in your life. And I mean, if you get one from Vicki Simpson, you can go to the bank. That's just fine, all right? But as a general rule, you do that. But then ultimately, when it resonates to you, what God's looking for you to do is to wage warfare with the prophecy. What he's looking, he gives you a promise, a rhema word, and the rhema word is the sword that the kids sang about in the armor of God. And it's the word that you declare the facts of things are not working. But the truth is this word God said. I remember uh, I learned this quite early on when I began to be a business person. Uh, and we were in a season, uh, our business was losing uh, $3,000, $4,000 every month. And we were running out of months. And actually, my parents had put their home up for security for a bank loan. And the bank decided they wanted to pull the loan in. So now my parents' house is up for, going to be up for auction. And I'm getting letters from the bank. And I've got a scripture from God. Don't recommend this uh, as a general principle, uh, like for every individual. But for me, God gave me a scripture that was so strong. And it said this, instead of your shame and humiliation, you will have a double portion. You will eat of the wealth of nations and in their riches, you will boast. And so God gives me this word and I'm seeing every opposite thing to this promise that God's given me happen. We're going backwards, we're going backwards, we're going backwards. And so I'm, I'm like getting quite depressed and anxious and worried and not sleeping well. And the Lord begins to, he speaks to me out of this scripture until the time the word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. And I had to go, all right, I'm, I've got this word. It's like examining me. I need to take this word and be, begin to create something because that's what God wants to do with you. He's not waiting for you to sit back and worship him while he creates. You're made in the image of God. He's given you a mouth to speak the word that he he says to Jeremiah, I'll put my words in your mouth and with my word, you'll speak it and you will pull down things and you will build up things. And sometimes we're waiting, God, would you do something about my circumstances? He says, I already have. I gave you a word. Get that thing in your mouth like a sword and speak it and declare it and say it over and over until it comes to pass. It's the spirit of a warrior. I'm not tolerating this anymore because it does not line up with the will of God. The will of now the will of God will come to you like we have a lot of Christians have this whacked out idea that if it's the will of God, it's just gonna happen. Bam. Why would he then say, pray this prayer, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Why did why would we even need to pray that if his will's automatically gonna happen? No, God, God's will is that everybody on the earth is saved. Is it happening? No, because he's chosen to partner with us. And one of the ways he partners is to pray his will in. So this is what happened for me as I began to, I, I went, started going to work half an hour early and I'd go into a concrete bunker in my work and I just begin to walk up and down and say, God, here's the facts. Because faith doesn't deny our facts. Facts are we're going backwards. Facts are we're running out of money. Facts are the, 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 the bank wants to take our, my parents' house, close, close us down. But, and so I'm like, that's depressing. So I'm being real about my facts. But your word is instead of shame and humiliation, got that part, you will have a double portion. 
And so I just walk up and down to say the word of God. After about 10 minutes, I start to feel the surge of faith. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the person you're going to get the most faith from is you speaking the word of God. So I'm speaking the word of God and just something began to shift in me. See, this is what God's looking for, for a warrior. He's not so much looking for something to change out there. He's looking for something to change in you. So you can live above your circumstances. We're, we're in a, you know, there's been multiple wilderness seasons, children going away from God. And rather than living depressed, once you get the word of God in your mouth, you're like, this is going to change. Now, if it doesn't change today, it's not going to ruin my life. Because I know what God said. This health issue, it's going to change. Now, if it doesn't change for 10 years, it doesn't matter. I'm committed to living the life of a warrior and standing and saying, it is written. And so uh, I'll finish the story as the uh, the keyboardist comes up. Our business just began to, uh, like it doubled. Then it doubled again. Then it doubled again over a period of about eight months. The only change that happened was I realized that I had the key. It was a promise from God. I just needed to get it in my mouth, to get into my heart, to declare into the atmosphere. And it was God teaching me a lesson in a wilderness that he was looking for me to be a warrior. Can we close our eyes together right now? In your wilderness test, he wants to develop you as a servant-hearted, worshipping warrior. So Father, I pray right now, right across this room, for your grace, for your, I, I, just, I just sense aha moments going, aha, the light's going on. Because it's possible to be in the wilderness and to keep walking around and around and there's like a door to promotion there's a door to your promised land but God keeps shut until he's developed his character qualities in you so that test for one person might be two years but another person might take seven years There's a sense that there is a divine timing to come into your promised land that you can't rush, Kairos. But there's also a sense that when that divine timing comes, if you haven't let the work of God happen in your heart, like the children of Israel, there was a moment that they could have taken the land, but they hadn't developed the servant-hearted, worshipping warrior spirit. And they missed their moment. If, you're, if you know you're in a wilderness season right now, I want you to stand up. You're in a seat. You're, you're being tested by God. God's doing something in your heart. Just stand up wherever you are. It might be just in one area of your life. It might be relational. It might be financial. It might be health. It might be in your work. But there's a test. It might be in ministry might be in your leadership why don't you ask the spirit right now which is the which of those three things 
maybe it's all of them, but which of them do you need me to work on? If you need to repent of being a grumbler and a complainer, not a worshiper, just repent right now. If you need to repent of being self-focused and critical, not being other-focused and servant-hearted, just repent right now. If you need to be repent about just being passive, not declaring the promises of God, just repent right now. You don't have to spend days doing it. Just quickly repent and make a determination. God, come and help me change. Father, I pray right through this room, every person standing, it's your goodness that draws us to repentance because you want to bring change in our lives so that we can fulfill your purpose and your calling and walk into every blessing that you've got for us. business with him. This is holy ground. You're not in the wilderness because you did something wrong. It's just preparation. Joseph wasn't in Potiphar's prison house or prison because he did something wrong. He was actually falsely accused. He was just being prepared. God's preparing you. Let's all stand up together. Lift your hands high right now, right across the room. Lord, we choose to worship you. As for me and my house, we will serve you. We'll serve you, Lord. We'll worship you, Lord. You'll find me singing songs of praise in the morning and in the evening. I choose, Lord, we choose to sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been faithful. And I will sing of your goodness. I will sing of your goodness. In winter, we'll worship you. In springtime, we'll worship you. In abundance, we'll worship you. In lack, we'll worship you. In sickness, we'll worship you. In health, we'll worship you. Under duress and stress, we'll worship you. In seasons of joy and victory, we'll worship you.